Let's challenge. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Did I tell you about that zit that I found on my... Uh, oh, shh. It's, uh, it's uh, podcasting time, I guess. Well, hello, everybody out there in um, not this room that I am in right now. <laughs> Lucky you, you're listening to the Pie Factory podcast. In case you couldn't tell by the thing you downloaded from your podcast supporter, and in case you couldn't tell from our booth announcer... So yeah, you got the Pie Factory podcast, and um, this is uh, coming to you from, I guess, Chicago. This is Alan Syndrome. And coming to you from the land of the mutant corn, this is Cosmic Ellen. Well, hello, Alan. How are you? Oh, by the way, you said listen to our booth announcer. and That's actually our announcer's uh, real name. Her name is Booth Announcer. People don't realize that. Yeah. So when we say yeah, booth right. announcer, that we're 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 being respectful and using her full name. Yep. And we add our because hey, she's ours. Yes. You can have your own booth announcer, and I'm sure there's many people out there named booth announcer. But oh crap! I think the website has the wrong name down for Uh-oh. her. What does it have? I I don't I don't know, but I, I don't think it says booth Uh-oh. announcer. But you better change it because we fired voiceover man a while back. Yeah, we fired him before we even started, actually. Yeah, that was for our, uh, we had him for our previous uh, podcast, Zit uh, Weekly, and, uh, which you were uh, you were flashing back to at the beginning of yeah, the show, I noticed. Yeah, I was having a, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm just having a rough week, so, yeah, I kind of slipped into old podcast mode. Sorry, folks. Yeah, so, oh, I almost slipped into the, uh, the topographic map quad by quad podcast there for a moment. I mean, yeah, if you if you want the if you want the Zit Weekly podcast, I'm sure you can find it if you do a search on Lycos. And uh, we got to get back into production on this week in potatoes. That's been a while since we've done we've updated one of those. But I guess there's really not much happening in the world of the Russet these days. No, no. Ever since Tim Russet died, yeah, yeah. it's been just kind of kind of dead. Yeah. I guess. So I guess we'll probably oh, have to move boy. on to say so- Wisconsin red potatoes at this point and we, i was really not wanting to do that unless we absolutely have to but apparently it looks like well it. hey if we gotta we yeah. gotta so what have you been doing since uh our last podcast jimmy g drinking heavily oh and playing video games this beer that i just finished i think it's really the only alcohol i've had since Thing is, I don't drink a lot. I really no, don't. I don't either. Actually, uh, I did have a beer at a recent <clears throat> event, which uh, we will probably end up talking about. But uh, that's about it. I, I don't drink that much. <laughs> if that's the same recent event I'm thinking about, I didn't even have a beer there. I had either. one. I had Coke and lemonade. Yeah, I had one. I'm, I have this rule: whenever I'm drinking, if I'm out somewhere drinking, I'll drink one or two beers or a little bit of hard liquor or whatever, like. Not too long after I get there, and then after that, I'm done. I just drink water and soft drinks the rest of the evening. And I always stay wherever I am for two hours after I had my last drink, just so that I get it out of my get as much out of the system as I possibly can. All right, keep that in mind, everybody, for those of you who plan to hang out with Cosmic Allen anytime soon. If he has an alcoholic drink, he's going to be around for two hours at least. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to tell you all about my conspiracies. So... Yes. Ooh. Yeah. I don't have any really, but 
I'll tell you all about what I don't have, and that's a conspiracy in itself. Oh, so. okay. That's 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 nice to know. How about uh, you? You said you played some video games. Tell uh, t- do tell. Well, I've been I've been playing around on uh, some emulators on my NES uh, or on my NES, on my laptop lately, and um, I've been having some fun with that. I've been I. One game I had never played, even back when I owned an NES, and I just started playing it. And it's a really, really fun, cute, uh, cutesy game. is Kirby's Adventure. That's a fun game. I don't know why I never played that way, 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 way back in the... We could say day now, can't we? Okay. Yeah, yes, I never we can. played that way back in the first uh, day. Old habits. Um, but uh, I'm playing it now, and that's just a real fun game. What console is it? NES. Is that NES? Mm-hmm. Kirby's Adventure, not to be confused with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Of, of course, of course not. I, yeah, I'm glad you said that, because I always get those two confused. I know you the are. The only NES game I've been emulating was Legend of Zelda, because I want to actually play that whole thing. I still suck at it. I can't get anywhere. You, you, first of all, download the manual, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the original actually did also come with a map. Or was that? No, that was... I think you're right. No, or was that a Nintendo Power? That might have been a Nintendo Power. But still, the map was available readily, so grab the map, too. And um, it took me a while to figure stuff out, but after a while, I really, really got into that game. That is easily one of the best games that's ever been created. I think I think I brought this up on another podcast, but I can't think of which... No, 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 I was saying it about a different game. But uh, if you really think about it, The Legend of Zelda is like the next step... And the adventure series, so to speak. I mean, obviously different company, but it's got a lot of the same mechanics about carrying items and the way that the screens, you have one screen at a time and you're moving around. And and uh, it, it has really a lot of the same features. It's like Atari's adventure on steroids. That's the way I look at it. And uh, it's, it's really, I like it. I think it's an enjoyable game. And um, Well, I am right now downloading the manual to my phone. In fact, it's now in my phone right now and i'm going to keep it there so that way when i when i use my my gpdxd uh android mm-hmm. device i can have that open and flip open my phone with the legend of zelda manual some people have actually played through the legend of zelda and have won the game without using the sword correction you do have to use a sword at the very end you need the silver sword or the, the, I'm sorry, the Master Sword and a Silver Arrow to kill the last guy, but you could beat the game without ever picking up the sword in the beginning. Okay. And there are some videos of that out on YouTube, actually, of people actually doing that, which, quite weird. We alluded to actually having gone to a party, or actually to an event or something, uh, this last weekend. We were invited to an Atari party with uh, that was uh, held by good friend and I believe Patreon of the show, Keith Sheehan. Yes. And yes. Thank yes. you. Keith. Oh, and that was a blast. He had a bunch of people over. He has a, has like a multi-game arcade cabinet, which was in a Kroll cabinet, which I would walk down the stairs and I saw he had a Kroll cabinet and I was just in awe because that's one of my favorite games. It's, it's not considered a really great game, but I love that game to death. He did have Kroll on it, but he had a whole bunch of other games as well. Well, it was basically a main cabinet, really. Right, yeah, and it only had upright... Uh, yeah, because he has an upright screen. He has yes. the uh, vertically oriented screen, so it was basically limited yes. to those. Oh, and you brought over um, Alpha Race on the Atari 7800. 
No. Wrong. No, you didn't bring that. Well, you brought Casey Munchkin. Casey I brought Munchkin, Casey and Munchkin. I finally got uh, to play the 7800 version of that, and I was quite impressed. I uh, I kind of liked that. Yeah. It wasn't a shameful way to kind of slyly plug the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast out every two weeks on Saturdays, in which the current episode, as of this recording, is Casey Munchkin. Next episode being actually Alpha Race. It wasn't. It wasn't like that at all. I don't. I don't like to uh, advertise. Yeah, this game that I'm playing right now, this is Casey Munchkin, which is I'm. By the way, I'm going to be talking about this on my. I'm talking about this on my current podcast. You might want to listen to it if you want to really hear my full opinion, because I'm just going to shut up now. Just came out it. <laughs> so, uh, but it's not. It's it's just a coincidence that it happened to be that that episode of the podcast oh, happened to come oh, out course. on that oh, day. Of course, actually, I had wanted to play that, and uh, you brought it over because of that, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you brought over a bunch of other games too, but. Uh, that uh, the 7800 didn't stay hooked up very long before they brought uh, hooked up. Uh, the one guy brought over uh, the Famicom. He brought on a, brought over a Famicom and a Super Famicom. And might I add that because of that, I am now undefeated in Bomberman on the Super Famicom. It wasn't just the Famicom he brought over. It was the Famicom that had the, the floppy disk thing built in to it. I knew yeah. it had the disk system separately, but I didn't know they had a model where it was actually built in. And uh, I was looking for that uh, that game that they did on the Angry Video Game Nerd. It was a... Hong Kong 97. No, it wasn't that. But there was a game on the uh, on the Famicom, not the Super Famicom, that uh, it was a disk game that said, uh, flip the f***ing oh, disk. Oh, yeah. I've been looking for that game, and I can't remember what the name of the game is, but I know it's a tank game, and I know they've done it on the Angry Video Game Nerd, and I believe on James and Mike Mondays, but damned if I can't remember the name of that game. So, yeah, flip the effing disc. Mm. So, that was, yeah. uh, that was uh, I was hoping for that. Somebody else brought over their uh, Raspberry Pi setup. Yeah, that was uh, Jason Latko. Jason Latko. I know he's heard our podcast before. I don't know if he's a regular listener, but... Well, we will have to get him... We're not regular ourselves. Well, we'll have to get him a subscription to the Brand of the Month Club. So, yeah. Mm. The Pie Factory... (laughs) You know what? The current episode of Super Podcast Brothers, at the very beginning, I know you heard it, they were going rattling off doing little advertisements that you hear at the beginning of like every podcast oh, yes. like, now we should uh, we should do an advertisement for the brand of the month club we should have them as one of our sponsors if there is such a thing so if the brand of the month club if you there is such a thing as listening or are listening to our podcast right now get in touch with us we have listeners that need to be regular so with that but uh had a good time um I was talking to a few people about uh, Raspberry Pi. They were wondering, some of them had some questions on how to transfer ROMs over. And I'm like, well, if you've got standard Windows PC, you can just open up uh, the RetroPie in the uh, network neighborhood and just drag and drop from your PC to that. And some of them were like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, yeah, just got to watch out for the connection because sometimes you lose the connection. I think it's... uh... Wait, watch out for what? Watch out for snakes. So, yeah, I had a good time. Thank you, Keith, for having us over, not kicking us out. Oh, and he he asked if uh, he asked me if uh, if I had Medieval Mayhem, which I didn't, so I brought it over on an Atari, on a uh, Harmony Oh, yeah, yes, we had a middle, Medieval Mayhem tournament, which is Warlords yeah. on steroids, basically. It's a homebrew of Warlords, yeah. and it's friggin' awesome, if I might say friggin'. And, you know, Keith's Atari party was almost 10 years to the day later than the one I had. Yeah, it is. It, it was. You were mentioning that. And we had a medieval mayhem thingy then, thingy. too. Somebody brought that. I, I, I got to. All right. My, my next Atari age purchase is probably going to be medieval mayhem. I really need to get that because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tired of running it off a uh, 
Harmony cart. I gotta get the real thing. Support the actual developer. I want to get some sort of a cart for the uh, SD cart for the seventy eight hundred. If they come out with another one, and it's not because I want to screw over the homebrew developers, not by a long shot. But there's a lot of games out for the seventy eight hundred that I'm just not going to be able to afford to buy that I really want, like uh, Commando. And I hear Mean eighteen Golf is actually really good on it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and not only that, but there are a lot of works in progress, oh, too. You know that, what? There are so many works in progress that I want to yeah. play on, uh, on 7800. There are a couple of SD carts in, well, like being worked on right now. In fact, uh, the Concerto cart, early version of that was actually sold at the Portland Gaming Re- uh, Retro Gaming Expo. Oh, wow. But with the disclaimer that they are very, very, very not fully certified yet, because the seventy eight hundred has so many. Oh God! Ver- like, yeah. like you, you get five Atari seventy eight hundreds together. Every single one of them might work differently, mm-hmm. and that's been a big pain in the butt for the concerto cart people. And and also that's part of the reason why the XM isn't out yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's that's a whole topic in itself, the XM. But I understand people's frustration, but. Tremiel's really effed over the 7800 with their iterations of it. I don't know why they did that, but we'll just leave it at that for now. So, um, oh, and beforehand, we went to, uh, you and me went to the Underground Retrocade. Me went to Underground Retrocade. Mm, big Retrocade. And the funny thing is, yeah, this really is funny. You are going to laugh so hard. I had actually been planning to go to the Retrocade for like weeks. Mm-hmm. On that day, and then Keith sends this invite out to people. I was like, you know, because he, he lives right there. You could probably walk to his house in just a few minutes from the retro. It's got to be no more than a mile and a half. Yeah, no more. Definitely no more than that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be there anyway. So hey, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get. I didn't get to spend a lot of time at the retrocade. Not as much as I would have liked to. I absolutely but, love Keith's game room. Oh gosh, that is awesome. It's really cool. It's snazzy. I found myself thinking, hmm, maybe we should get a house. <laughs> but then I then I remember all the reasons we don't have a house, and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to get a house. So, um, you know, hold on one second. I forgot to do something here. Paul, a little door shutting music. <laughs> yeah, well, Jimmy G's got to close the door and open the door. And open the door. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Had to shut the door. So well, what I've been doing, what I did over the weekend, what did you was, did? Um, I downloaded a bunch of ROMs for Sneeze and Nintendo 64. And first of all, I just want to say, if I had a penny for every Mahjong game on those two systems, man, I would retire. I would retire. It is just insane. All the Mahjong games. And I know they're not really Mahjong, but that's what they call them. It makes me think that I should really learn how to play that game. It's really easy. Is it? It's basically a tile-matching game, really. Still, it, there's just so many of them. And when I, last time I um, procured a full MAME ROM set, first thing I did is I went in and I deleted all the Mahjong games that I could find. Just no interest in Mahjong. Other than uh, Shanghai, which is the tile matching game that was made popular in Activision here in the United States. Well, that's what it is, really, the Shanghai game. That's what they're all calling Mahjong. 
Oh, because Mahjong on the main ROM set is totally different than Shanghai. Oh. Yes. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure all the... All, and what I did was I actually downloaded every one of those damn Mahjong ROMs, just in case I ever got the thought, hmm, you know what, I should play all these and see which ones are the best, which ones are the worst, which is actually more of a Super Podcast Brothers kind of thing <laughs> to do. It's like, yeah, Mahjong on the Nintendo 64. What? And you know what else there's a lot of? Huh. On especially especially the Super NES, and I can't wait for Greg to cover those on his show. There's a lot of pachinko games. You guys were you guys were mentioning that, yeah, pachinko games. Now, when I grew, when I was growing up, my dad actually went out and bought an actual pachinko machine, and he uh, yeah. mounted it in the in the wall. And we had a bar area in our basement. I think you were at. Have you ever mm-hmm. been to my? No, you never. I didn't know nope. you then. But uh, we had like a pachinko machine in the basement, and. That was lots of fun until one day I noticed that the balls weren't going through, so I decided to grease them up a little bit so that they would go through the machine. Yes, dirty jokes. And I did it with butter. Ah. <laughs> and I think I ruined the machine. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, never really worked fine after that. But uh, one game I was playing in MAME, what was it? Uh, Pachinko Sexy Reaction, which is like another adult game, except it's Pachinko and the... Wait a minute. That was the band I was in when I was in college. Uh-oh. Do we hear of... Uh, you, you know what? You should get a hold of, like, James Hetfield or someone from Metallica because they know all about, uh, you know, stealing when it comes to the music industry because they're so dead set against it. Maybe they can help you get some money. I don't know because someone once told me I looked like James Hetfield. This was back in the 90s, and, like, I might get sued for stealing James Hetfield's likeness if that's the case, so I don't want to talk to him. I don't But what see I've it. been playing... I've actually been getting into the kart games, actually. Oh, like, like Mario I tried, Kart. I, I, uh, Mario Kart on the N64 I've been really getting into. And uh, I tried getting into uh, Diddy Kong Kart oh, I didn't know about as that one. well. Uh-huh. And it's fun, except I, I don't remember which world I was in in the game, but the second track is impossible. And it's like, how do you get, make any progress in this damn game? Practice. Yeah, I practiced enough and didn't get anywhere. It's because of physics. I have about like 600 SNES ROMs now. All acquired legally. Yes, because I have all those cartridges yes. here in my little apartment. <laughs> and, as far as um, you know. It's amazing how small the Nintendo 64 library is. Yeah, it's really not that big. There's hardly anything for it. Uh, you have to you have to procure Goldeneye. That's widely considered one of, if not the best game on the uh, the six, N64. Is it something that somebody with my taste in games would like? Do you like James Bond? No, but I don't dislike James Bond either. Mm. It's uh, kind of Wolfenstein 3D-ish uh, set in the, uh, the Goldeneye universe. I guess what really shines mm. is the multiplayer on it. You have uh, four people at the same time going around playing different James Bond characters. And at some point in the multiplayer, you can actually procure the golden gun. Ah. Now, which is the best weapon in the multiplayer. Uh, I've only played the multiplayer once or twice uh, way back in the Ferg, but uh, the game itself is actually pretty good. Uh, there's a well-known Easter egg. Well, maybe not Easter egg, but uh, Island early on in the game, which they were actually going to set a mission on, but they just... they left it out, I guess. They didn't program the, the mission because they were running out of time or decided against it or whatever. But they left the island in, and you can still get to it, which was uh, interesting. But um, it follows the plot of the movie fairly well, from what I understand. I never really made it that far. I never made it past the first mission, to be honest. But um, 
But uh, supposedly it's the, one of the best uh, N64 games that's been, uh, that was ever made. Although I have been lightly playing the one Legend of Zelda game for it, which uh, the name of which is escaping me for the moment, and, and that's really good. So um, they never released a Metroid game on the N64 now that I think about it. It was Nintendo, hmm. Super Nintendo... Game Boy. GameCube definitely had a Metroid Metroid game Prime too. on the GameCube is phenomenal. I made it all the way to the final boss. I could never beat the final boss in uh, Metroid Prime. Ocarina of Time yes. is the Ocarina N64 game. Ocarina. I don't know how to pronounce Ocarina. Ocarina. I don't know how to, Ocarina. how to pronounce that thing. Ocarina. The musical thing of time. Yeah. So that's a fun game, but uh, you're still trying to play the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But now I have the manual. Now my next uh, thing to do is look for an, look for a map of some kind. I guess. Yeah, that's not uh, very hard to find. And in fact, one website that I was going to for help with um, Ocarina Ocarina of Time. Ocarina. Was it Zelda Zelda Dungeon dot com? I think it is. And Keith Sheehan was saying that he the guy that runs that site actually lives not too far from him. So that's a West Dundee oh, thing right. also, or at least the Dundee area thing also. So uh, that's a good website. You should go to that one. ZeldaDungeon.net. And uh, oh, yeah, Mozzie's has that site. See, I never knew that about Mozzie. Then again, I don't really know much about Mozzie's at all. So, so yeah, I don't know. But so yeah, ZeldaDungeon.net link in the show notes. Rather appropriate. Literally this time. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> a literal link Thanks, in Phil. the show notes. Um, I think with that, what we should do, uh, we didn't talk about any pies last time. Oh, we didn't. We should probably talk about pie this time. Yeah. Why don't we, can yeah. we switch it up a little bit uh, when it comes to pie? Let's talk about a pizza. I guess it's technically a pie. Um, You know what? You know what? I'm going to have some pizza tomorrow from uh, Rick Nielsen's pizza joint. Oh, so, tell uh, me how that is. I, I want to go there. Yeah. Oh, I've been there many times, but I'm having a special one apparently. So, um, uh, it's uh, peace, by the way, in the north side. Of is Chicago, there any cheap trick memorabilia in the place? Oh yeah, they switch it out once in a while too. Like the first few times I was there, they had this like nine necked guitar or maybe six necked guitar. I think his guitar is had. five neck. They definitely have uh, cheap trick gear in there. They oh, switch nice. it out. But it's a very nice place. Good luck parking anywhere nearby, though. But then again, if you drive into Wicker Park, you're a numb nuts anyway. Oh, there you go. It almost sounds like uh, Alice Cooper's restaurant in Phoenix, Alice Cooperstown, which I wanted to eat there, but we just didn't have the, the time to. But I was able to stop in and buy an Alice Cooperstown uh, T-shirt. Can you get anything you want at Alice Cooper's restaurant? Only if you're a billion-dollar baby. Ah, okay. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. I would like to discuss a pie, and it kind of piggybacks on something we talked about two episodes in a row. Okay. And that is the the place in downtown Chicago that was once a Marshall Field. Okay. Specifically the Walnut Room, which they still have intact as it originally was. And in fact, a lot of the, like the entrees and the menu still retain their original Marshall Field names and everything. Mm -hmm. I tried, and I don't remember if my wife tried it, but I tried a slice of, uh, they had Frango, they had Frango pie. Oh, that sounds good, actually. So, and, and it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was uh, uh, basically a chocolate cream pie. I'm guessing it's made from the Frango mints. So it has a very, the thing is the Frango mints have a very, very, very mellow mint flavor. So it's not very overpowering. It's even mellower in the pie. Really? But it's a it's a, basically a chocolate cream pie with lots of whipped cream on it. And um, I believe it has some like red icing in it, Ooh. too, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds really good. 
it really was good. It was pretty good. Not the best pie in the world, but damn it, not the worst either by far. Oh, is that would that be a reason to go into Macy's? <sighs> Begrudgingly, if anything. Okay. It's like okay, I'll go here this one time. And meanwhile, you have to you have to wade through cigarette butts and cracked tiles well, and filth and stuff. So, by the way, uh, years back when uh, when Macy's uh, destroyed Marshall Fields, there were all the protests in Chicago, and I know you were at one of them, and you re- you yep. recorded some stuff there. Is that up on YouTube? Um, I don't remember if I put it on YouTube. I definitely put some of it on Facebook. Okay. You know what? I, I some of it is on YouTube, I think. But when I put it up, this was ten years ago. It was uh, September in two thousand six, and back then YouTube had like a ten minute limit. Ah, uh, okay. So I couldn't put a lot of this stuff in there. There, there was a great video where uh, the Monster Energy Drinks Company was giving out free bottles of Monster Energy Drinks to the uh, the protesters. That was mine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can actually hear me say, uh, would you please taste the water first? Yes. <laughs> and the guy who was leading the protest said, are you employed by Federated Department Stores by any chance? <laughs> that was awesome. But yeah, the <laughs> one thing that I couldn't upload was the guy leading the protest protest basically read off a litany of all the stores that federated department stores either shut down or turned into Macy's. That video was too long for YouTube. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. I mean, that's just how ridiculous it was, but, well, uh, but man, we're, we're really talking about a lot of different things because I also wanted to talk about something I did tonight for the first time all year. Uh-oh. And that is that that's, uh, yeah. this is a family podcast. Yeah. Especially because I'm talking about riding a bicycle, if you know oh. what I mean. <laughs> She's like the village bicycle. I, I mean, was everybody's when had that a ride. Come up. Yep, yep. So yeah, I, my first bike ride of the year, uh, back and forth to work, and I just have to vent. I just have to. I, I have to get this out. On the way back home, I was going up Clark Street. I usually take the Lakefront Trail along Lake Michigan, but tonight I had to go pick up some medicine for the dog, so I had to take Clark Street home. And uh, I was behind s- someone else on a bike. And she was behind a taxi cab that suddenly decided to come to a sudden stop and pull over in the bike lane. And she yelled at the cab driver. And so I took my shot yelling at the cab driver too. And then this chick on the bike proceeds without any hesitation, without looking at all anywhere to go straight through a freaking stop sign. Oh God. Yeah. And so I, uh, so I had to yell at her. I was like, look, you yell at this cabbie for doing that. And then you go right riding through a stop sign. She just gave me a dirty look and then pulled over on the goddamn sidewalk and was riding her bike down the sidewalk. Don't get me started. Which, by the way, in the city of Chicago, and I believe also in the city of Evanston, it is against the law to ride your bike on the sidewalk in unless most you are under is, 12 actually. years old. I know it is in downtown Morris. Now, it's not illegal if you're riding it on the uh, Route 47 bridge over the Illinois River, because quite frankly, the Route 47 bridge over the Illinois River here in town is um, horribly busy, and they have a... a like a median separated sidewalk on the bridge. You got a Jersey barrier between between the road and hey, the sidewalk. Hey, it's a Jersey barrier. Hey, it's a Jersey barrier over here. So, and of course, what does this have to do with anything? Well, let's bridge this talk right back to where we started. Oh, zing. What is Keith Sheehan's alter ego, Bike Guy Chicago? Dang straight. So there we go. So we have now come full circle. In fact, it's funny. The first thing when we got to the party, I was wearing my... Uh, tour of scenic ogle county t-shirt and he was asking me about the ride so that was interesting 
So that was interesting. Is there anything else we, we in general, we need to say during this so far half hour preamble? Uh, or should we just go straight in? Do we have any uh, addenda and errata? Actually, we do have some. Uh, we did get an Ooh, email from Chris Plus Plus, but uh, we're going to save that for later because it pertains. Yeah, I wanted to know. I, I, I meant to ask you, should we save that for later? I guess we should. So, we should yeah. because it pertains to one of the games. But uh, I was doing a little research about Laserdisc games. I, I honestly don't remember remember why, but uh, this is from the website dragons-lair-project.com. Uh, and apparently Atari had some other vid- Laserdisc video games in... Uh, that uh, they were working on, a couple of them that uh, they actually have video footage for. Uh, they have video footage Ooh. for Golf Trainer, uh, Malibu Grand Prix, and uh, we've mentioned Battlestar Galactica before. Well, we also talked about Roadrunner, which the prototype is uh, flown, floating out oh, there, yeah. and it's been shown at the California... I can't remember the name of the show, but it's out in California. But they were also working on a Laserdisc version of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And the TV show Night Rider, and they were actively they were, they got to the point where they were actually viewing footage that people don't get to see uh, from the TV show, like what happens after uh, the the Kit Two Thousand or whatever it is uh, crashes after the uh, you know after the cameras or the stuff that's edited out. They got to look at like hours and hours of raw footage to see what they wanted to put in the game, and. Uh, of course, uh, after a while, Atari decided there was no future in Laserdisc games because Laserdisc players just are not reliable. But uh, I thought that was uh, quite fascinating. But I found out something else interesting off of the website. And this pertains... Ooh, do tell. To, yes, this pertains to one of our very, very early episodes when we talked about Dragon's Lair. Hence the website, dragonslairproject.com. Uh, link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. Not literally this time. But... Um, I had opined, how does the scoring in the game work? Because it just seems to be arbitrary. But Dragon's Lair Project has the scoring chart for Dragon's Lair, so you can tell how to get every point in the game. And it tells you exactly how many points you get for uh, for each move. It's, uh, it seems to me like they all... Well, no, actually, because uh, the numbers seem to be arbitrary. Like some moves, you get 379 points. This is really weird because there's like no standard score for moves. It's not like you get 10 points for every move of, of X. It's, it just seems to be pretty arbitrary. And um, you can actually get 999,999 points, but um, you have to enable the unlimited lives cheat to do that. There's no way to do that playing the game normally. But uh, yeah, this is actually quite a fascinating document that I found. So... Uh, Again, we'll uh, link that in the show notes. In fact, I'll just send that right over to you now, Sean. I got it. Oh, well, there you go. So I don't have to do that. I'm actually writing this stuff down as we go because I've been very, very lazy lately with show notes. In fact, as we speak, the show notes for episode 46 are not up yet. And I have to re-listen to that episode. Man, it's bad enough I listened to it once, but I have to listen to our damn show again just to make sure that i get all the show notes that we're supposed to have so uh that was uh high factory podcast.com of course yes, indeed so i just thought that was interesting and uh you know what explore that website there's a lot of really interesting information on that site about pretty much every laser disc game that's ever been created and uh many that didn't make it out of a uh, prototype 
and they have a whole page uh, on Dragon's Lair Project to, uh, dedicated uh, to prototypes as well. And um, I got to be honest, the only Laserdisc game that I really care to play would be Firefox after we talked about it. I like Astron Belt by Sega. That's a fun one. It's similar to um, Firefox in the way that the tech works on it. And I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Star Rider, which they finally got at Galloping Ghost, but the machine... It needs uh it it still needs like a lot of work with adjusting the colors and stuff. It doesn't look as spectacular as it once did, but um but it's it's still worth playing and it's running so you can at least figure you know, figure it out. But um I like it. But yeah, check out DragonslayerProject.com for all your laser disc game needs. Great site. So do you have any uh anything to announce? Oh yeah, that's right. Your name isn't Sean, your name is Alan Syndrome. Alan Syndrome. That's right. My name is Alan Syndrome. Alan Syndrome. You got that, Alan? Alan Syndrome. Yes, and I'm Cosmic Alan. You have any addenda or errata? No. No? No. Oh. Okay. Maybe we should just move on to a game. Your call, host man. Um, uh, I so don't want to talk about the game that I'm talking about, so... <laughs> You're more familiar with that game than either of the two that we're talking about tonight. And, um, quite frankly, I think you have the better of the two games, honestly, but, uh, well, um, let's, let's, um, move on then. And, uh, I guess I will talk about the game that I am about to talk about, which is, <laughs> and I quote, hmm, oh, oh my goodness. I have kangaroo in my notes here. It's actually kangaroo, kangaroo, kangaroo. Isn't that a, a small uh, metropolitan area south of Chicago, about 60 miles. Kankaroo, uh, Bradley, Bourbonnais, Aroma Park. I would hardly call that metropolitan. Well, Late Night with David Letterman said it was, uh, quoted, talked about it on a report of the uh, the of, uh, the major metropolitan areas in the United States, and uh, the Kankaroo area of Illinois was dead last. doesn't even belong on the list. It's but, a metropolitan uh, statistical area. Let's put it that way. There we go. That's a little better. So anyway, so yeah, kangaroo. Yay, kangaroo. Yay, kangaroo. And there was much rejoicing. Oh, boy. We'll get to that in a moment. Kangaroo, my fine fellowed friends, was released in 1982, developed by Sun Electronics and distributed in the United States by Atari. Yay. Production notes, no quarter drop sound. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to read that. That's that's notes for Hyde, sorry. Basically, what you... I'm just going to come wait, right out and no say no quarter it. dropped sound? Maybe that's why they haven't had a podcast recently. Because they, they dropped, dropped sound. the sound, we can't hear it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Once they undrop the sound, we'll be able to hear it. But, um, let's see. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Kangaroo is a Donkey Kong ripoff. That's all. It's not as much of a Donkey Kong ripoff as Mr. Do is a Dig Dug ripoff, but it's still obviously supposed to be a Donkey Kong ripoff. Um, I don't know if it predated Donkey Kong Jr. or not, and if it did, you could argue there's some influence of Donkey Kong Jr. in it. But why? Why? I hear everybody asking, do you say that it's based on Donkey Kong in a way? Well, because your player, the character you control, is a mother kangaroo. And your job as the mama kangaroo is to rescue 
your little baby Joey kangaroo. I don't know if, I don't know if Joey is the name of the kangaroo, but Joey is basically the baby form of kangaroo. Joey, you like movies about gladiators? Kind of like how puppy is the baby form of dog. So what happens is the mother kangaroo climbs through the trees and up ladders and tries to rescue her captured son who was kidnapped by a bunch of monkeys. Monkeys. What happens is these monkeys are just kind of gallivanting around the level. They're coming down ladders, coming down trees and trying to punt, trying to basically stop you and uh, they throw things at you like apple cores. And in fact, Jimmy G, um, excuse me, Cosmic Allen, mm-hmm. we, you, you and I were talking offline about this and I think now is a good time to introduce this brand new segment that we call Video Game Physics. It's time for another edition of... This edition of Video Game Physics, what do we learn? We learn that a apple core is fatal to kangaroos. Because if a apple core lands on the mother kangaroo, you lose a life. Oh no. Interestingly enough though, if your mama kangaroo punches the apple core, it actually kills the apple core. So basically, any part of your body except your fist, it's a deadly hit if the apple core touches it. So, yeah, think about that for a moment. That that that's physics right there. But anyway, that is one of the that is the kangaroo's defense. The kangaroo can punch enemies and objects. Oh, except for one thing. Except for one thing. If you take too long a time. Or if you don't punch an apple or a monkey for quite a while, there will be a giant ape that just appears and steals your kangaroo's boxing gloves. Yeah, I forgot to mention the kangaroo actually wears boxing gloves. Uh, No stereotyping at all in this uh, game, of course. And um, I wonder how PETA feels about this game. I, I, let's not go there. (laughs) Okay, I really don't wonder, but you know. (laughs) But what happens is uh, when the ape steals your gloves, you are temporarily defenseless and eventually you get your gloves back. Basically throughout the game, you are climbing ladders, you are jumping up on platforms, you are climbing trees in order to get to the top of the screen to rescue your son. Joey. By the way, did you notice that the mama kangaroo is wearing a bow tie? Did I? Hmm. Well, you know what? Let me let me open up uh, Mame for Droid, and uh, I would like to notice that. Um, let's see. Just look at the box with the fifty two hundred of the twenty six hundred version. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I see it. I see it. It's a. It's a. Oh, I wasn't even moving up, and the damn thing jumped. Well, I'm gonna get to that in a moment. But yeah. And not only that, I'm also noticing that the kangaroo sprite isn't exactly well designed because under certain circumstances, you can see like, like very 90 degree angle black borders around her. So they didn't really, Ooh, I rescued the, uh, there we go. Anyway, anyway, I'm just jumping all over the place. Um, yeah. And you know, I'm just going to jump straight to my opinion on, on the, on the game. I freaking hate kangaroo with every fiber of my being. Whoa. I really do. And that's the better of the two games that we're talking about tonight. You didn't even talk about the control panel or anything. Okay, fine. The control panel is a ambidextrous uh, single joystick control panel with a punch button on either side. 
the punch button makes you punch and uh, move left and right to move left and right, move up and down to move up and down if there's a ladder or some other climbable object. If there is no climbable object uh, where you are, then moving up on the joystick will make you jump, which you will sometimes need to do because sometimes things will be thrown at you at foot level. And again, if those things, i.e. Uh, apple cores, are thrown at you and hit you in the foot, you will die. If you pull down on the joystick and there's nothing to climb down, then the kangaroo will duck, which you'll need to do from time to time because, again, those nasty monkeys that kidnapped your son are going to be throwing things, i.e. apple cores at you. And if they throw the apple cores at head level, you will have to duck. And if you don't duck, then the apple core will kill you because that's what apple cores do. So, hey, you're being chased. I think the monkeys on the side actually just throw a whole apple at you, not just a core. I think the cores come from the monkey at the top of the screen and throws them down. You might be right about that, actually. I might be? You might be. You might be. But uh, the fact is, I hate this game so much that I didn't really pay much attention to all of that. And uh, basically, the first level, I should say the first screen, is basically all ladders and you go up and down ladders while well, ideally just up so you can rescue your son. The second screen, you actually jump up on kind of branches and platforms and things. And, um, and he, Oh, you know what? Um, I think it's time for another edition of video game physics. It's time for another edition of video game in today's edition of Video Game Physics, we learn that a kangaroo can jump up from one platform to another platform safely, assuming that that platform is only a few inches above. However, if a kangaroo jumps down from a platform of any height, the kangaroo will die. And there we have Video Game Physics. Well, you were talking about the second screen. Yes, I was. Yes. What about the third screen? The third screen I have never, ever, ever seen, at least not whenever I played the game, because I can never make it that far. Is the third screen the one where you have to punch out the stack of monkeys? Punch the monkey! Love him! Oh, no, wait a minute. That's Touch My Monkey from Sprockets on SNL. I thought that was a Phil Collins song. Uh, that would have been Peter Gabriel, actually. Yeah, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel. Don't you Gabriel. know you gotta punch the monkey? I actually, I love that third screen. I can get to it. I actually would like it if I could get to it. Because the third screen is just so much fun. I just love punching monkeys. And that, no, that's not a euphemism for something. That would be uh, something Beavis and Butthead would be talking about. But uh, I, I'm surprised that's actually the first time I've actually made that joke when we're talking about kangaroo. Figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. fourth screen is like, the, the fourth screen I hate. It's... um. It, it it almost seems random in a way that the way that the platforms are all uh, all designed on the fourth screen. I don't know. I it, you, you can't really describe it. You're gonna have to play it to find out, or maybe look for some pictures, but uh, or YouTube walkthrough or something. But uh, the fourth screen really looks pretty random. It, here's the the odd thing: is the fourth screen is is just a typical platforming screen where you got to climb from the bottom to the top to get your Joey. Joey. You ever hang around the gymnasium? But the screen, which should would technically be felt thought of as the Donkey Kong Jr. key screen or the Donkey Kong plug screen, where you topple, you know, yeah. the building over. That's the third screen in the sequence, not the fourth, which just seems a little 
odd to me. You would think that that would be the fourth screen. Maybe they ordered it like that because that fourth screen is so much harder. Either that or Sun Electronics was trying their damnedest to say, oh, look, we're not copying from Donkey Kong or else this would be the fourth screen. Maybe, but uh, I, I absolutely love the third screen. The third screen is a lot of fun in this game. So there, there you have with that. So what more, or don't you have things to talk about, like scoring or... I'm not going to steal uh, your game from you. Fine, fine, fine. Don't steal my game. I really don't care. I hate this game. Yeah, but, you'll, but you, uh, I, I think you hate the game I'm talking about more. Well, let's see about that there, Pfeiffer. Um, let's see. There is a countdown timer in Kangaroo. It starts at 2000 and every five seconds, a hundred comes off, off of that timer. And that countdown timer is also a bonus points timer. So if you were theoretically able to finish the level in under five seconds, you would get 2000 bonus points, Yay! but I don't think that's possible. Ooh, I'll have to check twin galaxies. See if there's like a speed run for Kangaroo. See if it is hmm. possible. That'd be interesting. But uh, anyway, as for other scoring, punching a monkey. <laughs> I, a monkey punch gives you 200 points. Punching a monkey from a column gives you 400 points. If you punch a piece of fruit that was thrown at you or dropped at you, depending on the situation, you'll get either 100 points or 200 points. If you punch the big ape, you get 800 points. Yay. And you get points for touching fruits, too. Yay. This is a good game for scoring by punching monkeys and touching fruits. Did you mention uh, how the fruits work? You jump up and you grab a fruit. But there's something else you can do with the fruits. If you want more? Yeah. You can ring a bell. And when you ring a bell, you will hear a little eight-note tune that actually has a name. I didn't know that thing has a name. It's called Westminster's Quarters. Yeah, that's the one that Big Ben in Westminster at, at Westminster at Wentz, with that place in London uh, belts out. Also, uh, basically, well, touching a fruit. If you touch a strawberry, you get a hundred points. If you touch a tomato, you get two hundred points. Tomato is a fruit, by the way. It is. Uh, it's a berry. Touching cherries gives you four hundred points, and touching a pineapple gives you eight hundred points. If anything. You got to give this game credit because everything in this game that's called a fruit is literally a fruit. Yeah. Not like Pac-Man where you have a Galaxian or a key or a bell or a bell. Well, you have a bell here, but it's not but called a fruit. But it's not called a fruit. It's called a bell. Oh wait, does Namco call them fruits or does that whatever is that what everybody else calls them? You know, I think Namco calls them prizes. I always refer to them as prizes myself. I think that's it, the official name, but everybody calls them fruits because there's more fruits there than uh yeah, I'm not going to make the joke, but uh, yeah, there's more fruit. Yeah. There are more fruits in the prize category on Pac-Man, so I guess some people just call them fruits because they never get to the key or Galaxian waves, which I don't. So anyway, um, I talked about Westminster Quarters uh, when you ring the bell. There are some other famous tunes in the game. The background music during the game is American Patrol by F.W. Meacham. And, of course, this is at least the second game we're talking about that uses Stephen Foster's Oh Susanna, which plays when you finish a level. What was the other game? Why, thank you for asking, Federico. The other game we talked about was Tapper, which uses uh, yes. Oh Susanna in the background. And finally, originally called Armageddon. Oh, wait, no, that was... Ah. When I wrote my notes for this show, I wrote them over last show's notes, so I forgot to erase originally called Armageddon. 
So sorry about that. There, there's no, uh, there's, there's no, no Bruce Willis in the game. Yeah, there, yeah. There's or or Def Leppard or anything. Um, so yeah, and um, so that's the game in and of itself. Uh, just some fun facts for you. Uh, mentioned earlier at Sun Electronics licensed Kangaroo to Atari, and as such, as a result, there are actually two different Kangaroo ROMs. The thing is, there's nothing different about those ROMs other than that uh, the Atari ROM has an Atari copyright notice in it. That's it. There's no other differences. Yeah. So if you illegally download your MAME ROMs, you're going to see two different Kangaroo ROMs. They will play theoretically exactly the same. Interesting. It's a far cry from the next game because, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll get get to that. Um, Kangaroo, as far as I know, had only three versions they were all on Atari machines, and technically two of them, I think, are the exact same. There was one for the Atari 2600, mm-hmm. which I own. I own a box copy of, and I've tried to play that thing. I hate that more than I hate the arcade version. Because what's hap- one thing that I really, really hate about the Atari 2600 version, in the arcade version of Kangaroo, you can see all the monkeys that are throwing things at you and the Atari 2600 version, you cannot see any monkeys at the top of the screen. So things that are no. dropped on you from the top of the screen come out of nowhere. Well, it's very blindsiding. The, the, the apples that come off the top of the screen, they bounce up and down on the 2600 version. They come down. There's no monkey that throws it, but it comes from the left side of the screen and it bounces and then just drops straight down wherever it wants to. Yeah, it's and it it doesn't make any sense to me. It's kind of like the Phantom uh, bottles in the Atari Twenty Six Hundred version of Popeye, which otherwise I think is a fine version of Popeye for what it is. Because mm-hmm. in the arcade version, you had the Sea Hag throwing them at you, but in the Twenty Six Hundred version, they just come out of nowhere. Because mm-hmm. I guess they couldn't put the Sea Hag in there for whatever reason. At uh, other home versions, Atari Fifty Two Hundred and Atari Eight Bit Computers, and I believe the Fifty Two Hundred and the Eight Bit Computer versions are exactly the same. Uh, you could be right. Which, given the, uh, I, I wonder how the Fifty Two Hundred version works given the uh, the joystick issues, because with Kangaroo, you oh jump with goodness. the joystick. I can't even imagine, because seriously, what one thing I hate about Kangaroo is that that joystick is so damn sensitive. Yeah, we'll be getting, we'll be talking more about that in a minute. Uh, I'm talking about it right now, because you can so much breathe funny, and it thinks you want to jump. Yes. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> and this, the second game, is the next game we're going to talk about is exactly the same way, but I think it's actually worse, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I might as well just give my impressions of Kangaroo right now. All right, let's hear your Kangaroo impressions. Boinky, boinky, boinky. So that was my impersonation of the Kangaroo arcade game. I thought I did a good job, but apparently I was wrong. wasn't annoying enough. No. We're going to get too annoying. Um, I like Kangaroo. It's not one of my go-to games. Oh, you forgot to mention that Kangaroo actually was one of the uh, cartoons on Saturday Supercade in its second season, by the way. That's right. I don't, and the thing is, I don't remember that being on Saturday Morning Supercade, and I watched that show all the time. If there was a video game show, I had to watch it. I think I saw one episode of that one. I honestly don't remember it. But the... Uh, yeah, so th- there was that, and... I'm going to start with the 2600 version. The 2600 version is just so damn ugly. I mean, there's there's no... I mean, Kangaroo has a lot of cutesy touches in it, I think. Uh, the graphics, it's it's 
I mean, it is what it is. It's it's a cutesy type game. The graphics, I think, are fine for what they do in the arcade. The 2600 version is just ugly. Uh, it, I think the 2600 version plays well. I, I like it too. But the one thing that keeps Kangaroo from scoring higher than it does for me is the precision of the jumps. And the 2600 version is just no different. You really got to be accurate with your jumps on this. And it's easier to be accurate with your jumps in this game than it is in the next game we're talking about. Overall, I think it's fun, but that fourth screen is a bear to get past. Well, it's a, a monkey, actually, but it's it's just terrible to get past. I mean, you can make it past the first screen. Uh, I think the second screen is there mostly to hone your skills at jumping to prepare you for the fourth screen. And... Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that that first screen, I think design is just way too hard. I think, but overall, I really like the game. Uh, I have fun with it. I really love the third screen, as I mentioned before. Graphically, it's fine. The sound, the, the <laughs> and again, it's something we're going to be talking about with the next game too. The sound just doesn't sound right to me. Uh, the uh, the Westminster tune is out of tune. It sounds to me. Honestly, this whole everything in this game sounds out of tune. It sounds kind of, and I have very sensitive ears for this kind of thing. Everything sounds like it's playing back on a record that is playing back just a tiny bit too slowly, like as if the belt drive was off a little bit. It's it, it, it just the pitch for the, the bell just does not sound right to me. It just, it just, I, I can't put my finger on it. It just doesn't sound right to me. I don't know. I like I like the game. Uh, I don't go to it all the time, but I like it a lot better than the next game we're going to talk about. And oh, by the way, did you talk about uh, high scores at all? Not yet. Well, why don't we do that? Yeah, why don't we? Twin Galaxies has two separate tracks: one tournament settings, uh, five lives, no bonus, and another marathon settings, which I think is pretty much default. You get a bonus kangaroo at ten thousand points, thirty thousand points, and then every thirty thousand points after that. Tournament settings, according to Twin Galaxy, Steve Wagner has the world record verified October 26, 2011, 91,900. Pretty low score. Pretty low score. This is a very difficult game, so I, that doesn't surprise me. Marathon settings, David Kirk uh, verified March 13th, 1983, 921,800. That's, that's just craziness right there. Orcade.com. A-U-R-C-A-D-E, by the way, only tracks the uh, standard marathon settings. Bonus kangaroo at 10,000, 30,000, every 30,000 after that. A guy named James White has the arcade record, performed November 6, 2016 at Galloping Ghost, 165,200 points. And as for me, um, my high score to date on kangaroo, at least on an arcade machine, I think I've done better in MAME, but on an actual kangaroo arcade machine on January 26, 2015, I achieved my highest score to date at the underground retrocade 9,000 points. Very good. Couldn't tell you my score. In fact, underground retrocade was the first place I ever played or even saw kangaroo around 2014, give or take uh, give or take a year. I always knew kangaroo existed. I knew it existed as an arcade game. I knew that it was out on, uh, the 5,200 and 2,600, but I just never really saw it until the era of pay one price, play all day mm -hmm. arcades. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to try this thing. And I immediately hated it for one thing. I mean, obviously the sensitive controls just really got on my nerves. 
The difficulty was insane, and I've played it many, many, many times since, and I still find the difficulty insane, and I hate the sound. I really do. And again, I mentioned earlier in the episode how sometimes you can see like black rectangular outlines around the kangaroo, Mm -hmm. and that kind of distracts me. I never noticed that, to be quite honest with you. Well, it's going to be one of those things you're you're never going to be able to unsee now. Kind of like the arrow on a FedEx truck. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I actually do think that the graphics on the 2600, for, for what that version is, I thought it was actually pretty decent reproduction. Oh, well, there and you the go. Colors are, the colors are weird. But. If I'm not mistaken, the 2600 is missing the uh, the monkey tower, isn't it? Where you're punching the monkeys off of they're holding up the cage. <laughs> I can't even clear the first screen in that on that version. So I can get past <laughs> the asking... first. I can get to the third one. I can't. I know it's only a three screen game, but I can't remember if that one's missing or not. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because well, memory and stuff like that. But okay, continue. Speaking of memory, um, Cosmic Allen, do you have a memory of your first or earliest time with Kangaroo? Ah, uh, yes, I do. It was uh, Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall, which seems to be kind of where most of my memories are. And then the second most would be Putt Putt golfing games but i saw this at the aladdin's castle at the louis joliet mall the louis louis, louis, uh-huh. so, louis Joliet. yes indeed oh gosh that didn't work but yes i enjoyed the game myself and i don't think it's great i think there's enough quirks to it to for to keep this from being a really really great game um i guess i'm gonna rate it now uh, i have to rate it a three it's fine. I'll play it. I like it. But, you know, the, the, the maddening accuracy you have to be when you jump and that confounding fourth screen, uh, trying to get around that, just keep it from being a four for me. My rating for this, one continue. One. You know what? I just typed one. that in before we even started recording because you've we've talked about this game in the past and I knew you were going to say that. I hate this game with every fiber spelled F-I-B-R-E in my particular case. This time I'm choosing the European spelling of fiber because that's how emphatic I want to be about it. With every fiber of my being. Ugh. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that there is some built-in cheapness in this game. It somehow can tell whether you're about to jump or duck, and that's how they're going to throw the things at you. If you look at the monkey, you can tell where he's going to throw it. Uh, you can tell if it's going to be a low throw or a high throw. Because if he throws his, holds his arm above his head, he's going to throw it high. If it's below his head, it's going to be a low throw. So you can tell where it's going to come from, actually, if you watch the monkey. And I swear, I swear, partly because I lived in New Jersey oh, for well, years. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. But I swear that... There are times when you will be in the perfect position to punch out a monkey and it won't let you. It actually will not let you. You'll like miss it, even though any other time you'll easily get it. But the reason you miss it is because it's about to throw something at you Mm. and you don't know yet until it starts to throw something at you. I can't say if I've noticed that, but again, I've noticed things about the next game. So freaking cheap. It just just pisses me off. and the thing is, like, I hate, I, I hate the arcade kangaroo. I hate the twenty six hundred version even more. And the, and 
the only other 2600 game, the only other Atari 2600 game that ever made me angrier than Kangaroo made me was Cosmic Arc. There, I said it. I hate Cosmic Arc very, very, very much. I can't believe you hate that game. I love Cosmic Arc. I hate it. That's one of my favorite games, the sequel to Atlantis, I might add. I love that game. Wow. I, I, I d- Everybody does except this guy right here. Huh. Uh, those of you listening, you didn't see this, I hope, but I was pointing at myself. Oh, you were. I thought you were pointing at the person that lives in the apartment next to you. Okay. Well, you know, you throw me for a loop sometimes. So, yeah, you rated a one and I rated a three. And you just have absolute love for this game. You love Kangaroo. I love Kangaroo the same way that I love onions. I love Kangaroo the same way I love... Get back to me on that. So... Okay. Uh, okay. Well, there we go. I don't think there's much there more to go. say about Kangaroo. Neither do I. So how about we transition over to our other game for tonight? Cosmic Allen, would you like to um, do the honors and intro it and maybe tell us about it? Yes, we are talking about Arabian. Yes, Arabian. Woohoo! Yay, Arabian. Yay, Arabian. Uh, Arabian, you control an Arabian, or as the uh, <laughs> as the promotional materials and the manual for the machine says, you'll have a thousand and one hours of fun. <laughs> you see what they did there? So yeah, uh, Arabian, you got this little Arabian prince, and the object is to, over the course of four screens, save your princess from the tower that she's locked in. And how do you save it? By collecting jars that have the letters A-R-A-B-I-A-N in them. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. That's not technically physics. That's video game logic, I guess. Um, uh, I don't know if we have enough for a video game logic segment yet. But So yeah, the f- first of all, a little bit about the controls. Uh, Kangaroo had, the, had the, the joystick, which we had mentioned previously, where left, right, down to duck, or, or descend a ladder, up to jump up right or up left to jump at an angle, and it had a punch button. Well, Arabian is similar. The joystick's laid out pretty much the same, except jumping to the upper left or the upper right on the joystick is called super jump. And uh, instead of a punch button, you have a kick button. So yeah, you're going through four screens. The first screen is you're on a pirate ship, which this is actually kind of a fun screen. And uh, again, you have to collect all of the letters that spell Arabian. Uh, if you could do them in order, you get big bonus points. Uh, the second screen is a cave, and again, collect the letters Arabian. Third screen, you have to make it up the walls, and uh, by jumping on pieces of dirt and flying carpets and and so forth, uh, again to spell Arabian. Uh, interestingly, the final letter, the N, is generally always at the top of the screen, so they kind of make it. You don't have a set path you have to go through, but they do kind of make it where you have to, for the most part, if you want the big bonus points to finish the game at the top of the screen. And the fourth and final screen is the inside of the Tower of the Palace. And I have to say that uh, the the game is laid out, actually, they they call them in chapters. Uh, The first screen is called page one, then page two, page three, page four. Let me think. You have a few enemies. You have Rocks, R-O-C, which are little birds that attack you. You have Oscars, which are a little pink blob with a mouth. And then you have a genie, which appears out of a pot. 
one of the jars, I should say, rather. Uh, if you see little puffs of smoke, you can still touch the jar. But if he's a full-blown genie, you cannot touch the jar or the genie. You'll lose a life. Uh, can you just wish the genie away? Oh, were that only the case, my friend. But the genie will throw a Powerball at you. Today's Powerball number is two. Oh, and the if two of the rocks... Uh, touch each other they turn into a super rock and they fly down the screen toward you off the screen then the same thing with the oscars two of them together they turn into an oscar a, a super oscar and they try to attack you now you can kick the rocks and oscars or the super rocks and the super oscars and the nice thing about kicking them is if you kick them and they fly off the screen and if they touch another enemy uh, another rock or oscar uh, you get points for knocking them out, too. They'll fly off the screen as well, out of harm's way. They do regenerate every now and then. Uh, you can tell because a little egg will hatch uh, hatch a rock, and a little pile of ooze on the floor will turn into an Oscar. Now, let's go into scoring here. Get 100 points for kicking a monster off the screen. Uh, killing two monsters with one kick, you get 600 points. Uh, three monsters, you get 1,600. Four monsters with one kick, you get 3,600. If you kick a Super Rock or a Super Oscar, you get 1,000 points. Now, I don't understand this one. I've seen this scoring somewhere, but I have not seen this enemy. Kicking a Mutant Blob is 2,000 points. No idea what that is. Uh, for each pot that you collect, or jar, because pot still isn't legal in Illinois, uh, 500 points. And How about Saudi Arabia, though? Uh, I think you get your head chopped off for that, actually. So we won't go into those politics yet. And if you spell the word Arabian in order, you get 2,000 points. And you also get 2,000 points per section number. So on the first screen, which is page one or section one, the, the intro screen between each page, you show a little book and the page turns over and it says page one. And it'll show you a picture of what the screen looks like. Or what you know what the screen represents, and it also above it it'll say section one. So page one, section one is kind of a redundant thing, but I don't know. So the first screen you get two thousand points for spelling Arabian plus another two thousand for the section number. So you get four thousand points on the the first screen. The second screen you get uh, two thousand for spelling Arabian, and then two th plus two thousand for the section number. So six thousand, uh, and then eight thousand, and so on and so forth down the road. Uh, the level ends after all the jugs have been collected. You can collect them out of order, but you only get the big bonus points if you collect them in order. You can kick while jumping. You could crawl. Sometimes you have to crawl in different little spaces, and uh, you move a lot slower while crawling. And you cannot kick while crawling, which, you know, plan accordingly. Uh, you can jump up, grab ladders, vines, poles, whatever. You can actually hang from vines and move left or right, which is kind of kind of neat. That's kind of almost Donkey Kong Jr.-ish in a way, the way you can move across like that. Now, uh, this is interesting. Uh, I'm wondering, should we read the email that we got about the game? Oh, please do. And we got this from friend of the show, Fis, 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 Fiskers. Fiskers. Chris Federico. You can see why I said Fiskers. Hello, Pike. I think we should call him Fis Fiskers from now on. Fis Fiskers. Ooh, I like that. I kind of want that for my name, Fis Fiskers. That's a cool name. Uh, hello, PyCasters. As you announced coverage, your coverage of Arabian in the next episode, I thought I'd share a discovery I made while using MAME three or four years ago. To the extent that we trust the emulated ROM sets, Sun's version of the game is easier than Atari's. The main reason I find this interesting is that common assumption that tends to have it the other way around, with Japanese games generally being harder than American games, which we've talked about that in the past as well. 
Turns out some swine at Atari decided that the player's character should die from long falls, or rather impacts from after long falls. And Sun's original high, and Sun's original high drops are not fatal. I admit that Atari's version might be more realistic, but I don't play vi video games to add a dose of realism to my game to my day. Especially, this is well, I'll I'll add, I'll talk Brad later. Anyway, if you'd like a quick bit of evidence on the opening screen, try leaping from the third tier up. Just jump to the right off the boat, attempting character suicide. It won't work in the Sun game, but Atari will be happy to grant your character his eternal peace. On the second screen, climb up to the central right platform and walk off. Again, Atari will kill you, and Sun will let you survive your puzzling decision. Also, the bubblegum genie, as I call him, appears much more quickly than the Atari version. In fact, on the initial boat, I never see him at all. Granted, you might already know all of this. In that event, feel free to violently disregard this email. No, I'm not sure what violent disregard looks like. There's no way you haven't noticed the different soundtracks, so I won't even mention those except earlier in this sentence. Thanks, as always, for an awesome show and for the funny self-deprecating rejoinder that customarily follows my expression of gratitude for your efforts. I can say no more, Chris. P.S. Jim, my Please bird... say no more. Well, he can say no more. See, I, that's what he said. So, Chris, P.S. Jim, my birthday is in late January. January, could you wish me a happy bidet just for old time's sake? You spoiled me with bidets for years, and now I just don't feel like I've had a real birthday without one. Chris, happy bidet. P.P.S. Yes, I've typed the phrase, spoiled me with bidets, and I'm not ashamed. Well, I had to do some re more research with this game. Uh, after I uh, scoured all of these our usual sources, ArcadeHistory.com, ArcadeMuseum.com, Wikipedia, and others, I still had to do more research because, uh, first of all, I wanted to test this. But then while I was playing a game, I noticed something that I saw in no documentation anywhere about this game. And when I figured it out, it really pissed me off. The, the one thing I'm going to talk about was nowhere in the actual manual or documentation from Atari or Sun on this game. But we'll, we'll get to uh, what Chris said first about the music. Well, first of all, uh, the, the, intro the page intro screen to each level is Ludwig van Beethoven's Symphony No. 6, OP68, First Movement. The track mode music is Mozart's Turkish March, and both the Atari and Sun versions have that music. Now, it's different during the level play. On the Sun version, it has the William Tell Overture on levels 1 and 3, and the Can-Can on 2 and 4, which we, which was in uh, Tapper. I can't remember. We found the original name of it. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, and it's actually the full piece. It's not just the da 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 da. It's the uh -huh. it's the full piece actually. Now, on the Atari version, you hit levels one and three. You have Rimsky Korsakov's Scherzade. Scherzade. S C H E H E R A Z A D E. Scherzade. Okay. Scherzade. I think. Rimsky Korsakov. Rimsky Korsakov gave us a big, uh, big middle finger when the other piece that's played in this game, levels two and four, is the young prince and princess. Yeah, thanks for giving me a, a name I can't pronounce, and then following it with a name that I can. Now, it could be worse. It could be Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Six, Op Sixty Eight, First Movement. I remember when I had my first movement. Anyway, so yeah, there's definitely music differences, and I'm gonna get into those music differences. More a little bit later. Now, as far as what Chris was saying about the genie, I can't verify that at all. Um, 
I was looking for it. I didn't notice it on the first screen. So I'm going to have to pa- give that a pass. However, what The Genie absolutely does come out much more earlier on the Atari version. Okay. Now, as far as the jumping, he was spot on because I was playing the game on the Sun version. It was the second screen. And I fell from halfway up the screen on the Sun ROM. I did not die. On the Atari version, I did the same thing. I died. <laughs> um, the Atari version is much less forgiving than the Sun version, which is puzzling that they made the American version harder in this case, because as as he pointed out, and as we've pointed out before, it's usually the other way around. They make the American version easier, which I just don't understand the decision, unless maybe Atari wanted to make the games more difficult or whatever. I don't know. But uh, as far as ports go, there's only one official port that's ever been on any system, and that is Super Arabian on the Famicom. I have seen this ROM before, and the only real noticeable difference that I could see in it was instead of the word Arabian you have to spell out, it's like a random word on each screen. It's kind of like how Donkey Kong math, you know, he had to solve math problems, which nobody's ever really been able to figure out that game. It's kind of like that, except, you know, it's spelling in a way, because I mean, it's the same game, but you just got different words you got to spell. It, it seems to work the same way. There was one unofficial port. It's called Tales of the Arabian Nights by Interceptor Software. And that was on the Acorn Electron, the Amstrad CPC, the BBC Micro, the ZX Spectrum, and the Commodore 64. Now, I used to love this game when I was growing up. And then I uh, played it in emulation, and I'm wondering how I ever liked the game. And then I was playing it more at Galloping Ghost. And just over the last week, I've been playing this a little bit more on uh, on Mame here at home. And here's something that really ticked me off, which I had never noticed this before, and I could not find in any documentation anywhere, not even the official operator's manual, which I poured through. Uh, by the way. A uh, little hint, arcade-museum.com. Uh, set up a free account there because if you don't have an account, you can read just like the basic information about the game. But if you set up an account there, it's totally free. You get access to PDF files of like manuals for the games and like other sorts of downloads and stuff. It's really worth the, f- the free setup. Arcade history or arcade museum? It's arcade history, arcade-history.com. Arcade-history.com is what puts out the main uh, history file, the history debt file. But anyway, as I was saying, you actually have a time limit to complete the screen in Arabian. And there's no indicator of this anywhere on the screen. The top of the screen, you got a little indicator there. It says spell Arabian. It'll have the letters Arabian. And as you get each letter in order, it'll light it up with yellow. If you don't light it up, instead of saying Arabian, it'll say failed. Okay, and it'll spell whatever you spelled. Yes, yeah, it's yes, it'll it'll spell it out of the spell it exactly the way in the exact order you picked up the jars. But there's a time limit in the game. Nowhere on the screen is there a timer anywhere. Okay, now I had to time this. It's about one minute twenty seconds you have to complete a screen. And what happens? The only way you know that time is running out. Above where it says Arabian, at the top right of the screen, it says time over. And the letters in Arabian each start turning into skulls. When the letters all turn to skulls, you lose life. There's no timer in the game, yet there's a minute and 20 time limit for each screen. 
And I was having some trouble on the third screen with all of the uh, flying carpets. Uh, first of all, the flying carpets piss me off to no end because you jump up, you ride them, and sometimes you have to actually duck because otherwise the flying carpet that's above you will push you off the one that you're on already. And if you're playing the Atari version, you're, you're, you're basically dead if that happens unless there's another flying carpet right underneath it. And they move at such different speeds. The one is so dreadfully slow on that third screen. You're just wasting time trying to get over it. And there's only one on that level. So you've really got to plan it. And um, But there's no... You really need more time on some of these screens. And you get a minute and 20, which I guess by comparison is actually a lot of time compared to some games. But at least give you a freaking timer on the game. And I hated that. I never noticed this whole thing with the with no timer and a time limit until I just started playing it in this last week. And the first time I ever saw this game was in the was like 83 at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois, and I never knew there was a timer thing. I just thought the game was insanely difficult. Again, it has the uh, the uh, where you can push up to jump or upright to jump to the left or right, which they say super jump, which I don't know. But um the jumping is so... The, the joystick... You, you think the joystick in Kangaroo is sensitive. It's way more sensitive in this game. You just barely touch it and, it, and, and you're jumping. And if you don't have good control over the joystick, you, you're, you're good as dead in this game. I mean, I guess there's not a whole ton of enemies in the game, but you lose a lot of lives, especially, again, on the Atari version from falling. And if you're stuck in an underground... Like in a, in, a, in a small area you have to crawl through, you can't kick. And sometimes the enemies will just like jump for some reason and uh, you just can't get out of the way. And to me, there's a lot of cheap deaths in this game, which I never noticed when I originally first played it. I'm not going to say any more at this point right now. Um, something I did notice about the dip switches, and I think Kangaroo was the same way. You can set all the dip switches to where the game, you can have it on free play. But if you set them one certain way, you can have it set to where the left coin slot is uh, one coin for two credits, and the right coin slot is one coin for 12 credits. Whoa. Yeah. I think Kangaroo is the same way on that. Uh, just, you might want to give it a shot. We'd, we'd say it's kind of neat to actually go into the games and check out the different dip switch settings and stuff in there. But uh, check this out for yourself, because, yeah, you can set Arabian to where you have one coin for 12 credits, but only if you put the coin in the right coin slot. I didn't realize they could be set independently and really, really wildly like that. Uh, but there's something else interesting about Arabian. When you put it in free play mode, and I was checking to see if Kangaroo did this too, but Kangaroo does not do this. If you're in free play on Arabian and you press the number one and two buttons at the same time, it'll end the screen and move you to the next one. They call it demonstration mode. That way, if you're that, because if you want to show somebody the game, you just hit the buttons and say, well, here's this screen. You want to see the next one? I don't know. This is a stupid game. Oh, come on. Oh, okay. You hit the one and two buttons again and you'll see the next screen. It'll immediately end the screen. You get whatever point you had, but it'll immediately end the screen and go to the next one. You can just keep doing that, but that's if the machine is set to free play, which makes me wonder if, I don't recall on Galloping Ghost, did they have one of the coin-in buttons on Arabian? I don't remember. Because if they don't, and they have the dip switches set to free play, then you can skip screens by hitting the one and two buttons. 
I'm wondering if they do have the button because I'm sure that no, Twin Galaxies would not accept a score on Arabian if it was set to free play like that. If you can hit one and two buttons to skip screens, because you can just keep skipping screens until you get to that first screen, which is the easiest of the uh, sequence of four. And you can just make your points. Thing is, when you submit to Twin Galaxies, oh, you have to submit that's a true. video. You do have to submit a video, so you wouldn't get past anything on that at that point. Then that's true. But still, the tr- I I didn't notice, but the track might require might actually spell out whether or not you can have it in free play mode. We'll have to double check. We'll have to check that. Uh, but yeah, this, we're not going to check we, that. Yeah, Come no, on. we're not going to check that. We never do. But uh, but I thought that was interesting about the. Uh, Pressing the one and two player buttons on Arabian, being able to skip screen when it's in play. And I confirmed it. It does actually work. And it was actually, I got this information from the actual manual for the game, which the manuals are interesting because the, the, for this game, it had all of the, uh, the schematics for the game and, you know, what the replacement parts and all of that fun stuff. And, and uh, it was Atari's manuals, from what I've seen so far, really fairly professionally put together. By comparison, I looked at the manual for Star Rider, the Williams Electronics uh, Laserdisc game we briefly mentioned earlier in the episode, and that thing looks like it was just printed, you know, typed out on a on a Selectric typewriter, whereas Atari actually put some effort into the manual for Arabian, which I don't know. But um, what do you have to say about the game? Well, I've actually I've been playing it the entire time you were talking here. I've been playing it on my uh, GPDXD. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so you weren't paying attention to me? I was paying attention, dude. I can multitask, and um, I'll tell you what. I actually I really like it. I do like the game. I actually don't find the controls as sensitive as you do. I don't know. I don't know what you've been smoking lately, but uh, now I will grant. Share some I will with grant me. because um, in playing it. I was using my analog thumbstick for a lot of it. That could be part of it, but I also did program the uh, the, the cross controller on my 8-bit dough NES 30 controller, which I love to pieces, and uh, it seemed to me to be pretty sensitive to that as well. So, well, I was using the analog thumbstick on my GPDXD too. So, huh? Well, I don't know. And it happened like that with me on both ROMs. Huh. Oh, and I got to get to the music too, but I'm going to let you uh, more on the music. But I'm going to let you finish up your thoughts here. But what my my thoughts? Hmm. Now, something that just occurred to me when we were talking about the flying carpet level. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's really frighteningly reminiscent of hmm. the zookeeper screen when you have to rescue your girlfriend. Where you have the moving yeah, platforms yeah, and you can is. pick up yes. the bonus things. Yes, you are correct. It is yeah. kind of reminiscent of that, isn't it? Yeah. That's what came to mind with that. I've never been able to get past the flying carpets, by the way. I'm still struggling with that. I've come close. I've come close. But I don't know. There's just something tactically satisfying about Arabian. I don't know exactly what huh. it is. And I've tried uh, I tried both the Sun ROM and the Atari ROM, and I really didn't find the Atari ROM to be very terribly detrimental to my gameplay hmm. because I've found that there are very, very few situations in which I would be in the position to fall far enough to basically fall to my death. Hmm. And... 
the genie appearing didn't really bother me that much. It's like, okay, you know what? I'll come back later. I'll just go somewhere else. I'll see the. I'll say this about the genie. Uh, the genie itself is easy to avoid, and it seems like when he throws the uh, the smoke ball or power ball or whatever he has at you, he doesn't seem to be very accurate. So the genie was the original stormtrooper then. Yeah, pretty much. And as we can see, of course, um, Arabian doesn't use stereotypes at all. I mean, oh, no. flying carpets and genies and stuff. You oh, know, no, but. not at all. So I guess the question is, did you have a thousand and one hours of fun? Not yet. Not yet. I've, uh, I've, I've only had maybe a grand total of three hours of fun. Ah, okay. So I need to start working on it. All right. Now I have to get into my rant about the music. As I said, I used to love this game when I was younger, when I first played it at Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. And I had a lot of fun with it way back then. But playing it the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact, I forgot to like drink water when I was at work. And uh, I was moving like these rails for servers. I was sorting like 200 of these things. And um, I just got the most massive headache at work. Then I decided to come home and do some more research by playing the game. And uh, I was playing the Atari version, and the music comes on. And the music in the Atari version, during the level, not the music between levels. Music between levels is fine, but on the Atari version, the music during the level was so freaking shrill. It made my headache worse. This game is a headache-inducing game if you don't like shrill music or if you have a headache. And, um, wow, I never thought I'd ever say about that about a game. The music is shrill. It's tinny. It's, it's terrible on the Atari version. The Sun version, the music is much better. And I could play the Sun version without much effect to my headache. But if you have a headache, don't play the Atari ROM of Arabian. Just, just don't. Just stay away from it. Play the Sun version if you must play this game. But um, I would say just play the Sun version. It's, it's, it's easier and the music is better. And the selections aren't as good in the Sun version, but it just sounds better. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it really does. So it's 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 almost as tinny, but not quite, not quite. It, it, it there's more bass, uh, more lower tones in the Sun version than the yeah. Atari version is what it is. And if you have a headache, you really want more calming type music, and the music's a little more calming in the Sun version, I guess. But hey, I guess with that, hey, do you have the uh, any uh, score information on the game? Score information on the game. Um, well, let's see. There now. This is the interesting thing. Now that the uh, Sun ROM and the Atari ROM do have those differences, but both Twin Galaxies and Orcade A U R C A D E dot com only have one track. Oh, so I'm guessing maybe it's there by default. It's the Atari track since most of the people playing are Americans. I guess. But um, Twin Galaxies shows Chris Mansfield, uh, verified July 21st, 2012, scoring 244,850. Arcade.com has James White, performed October 10th, 2016 at Galloping Ghost Arcade with a score of 101,450. Still pretty good. Not, not quite Chris Mansfield good, but still pretty good. And, of course, we now know what the theme is of the show. It is games in which James White has the Orcade.com <laughs> world record during the year 2016 at Galloping Ghost. There's several themes you could use for this game. Yeah. These games. My score, by the way, I'm going to sound whiny, and I really don't care, but my official 
highest score on an actual arcade Arabian is 4,600 points performed December 28th, 2016 at Galloping Ghost Arcade. However, if you look me up in arcade.com, you will not see that on my score because Pete Hahn did not yet submit my scores. Uh-oh. Pete? Come Pete. on, Pete. Pete, you were the gamer of the year. Don't let it get to your head, Pete. <laughs> He's a good guy. Um, he, he is. He, he is. is. I like Pete very much. So talk to me about the game. What are you going to rate it? Uh, I'm going to rate it a very strong three continues, actually. Uh, with a little bit more pushing, I might even be willing to say four, but right now I'm going to say three because I, I really like it. I like kind of really? the tactileness of it. I don't find it very, I don't find the jumpiness very bad. Oh, and by the way, did you also, I don't remember hearing you say this, but did you notice that you can actually kick while you're in mid climb? Oh, yes. I did not mention yeah, that, that. And you can also kick while cool you're thing. hanging from the vines as well. Yes. Yeah. And while you jump. I do like that. I don't know of any other game that does that. I'm sure there are, but well, hey. outside of fighting games, I mean, Double Dragon and Street Fighter, and obviously all those sort will let you. But uh, I don't know of any other like more arcadey, more you know, single screen arcadey type games allow you to do stuff like that. I know yeah. there gotta be, but uh, and I'm sure I've never heard of this game until we actually started doing Pie Factory podcast when I heard you mention it. So I don't remember ever seeing it. And first time I ever actually saw it was December 28th, 2016 at Galloping Ghost Arcade. So I have no prior memories of it. Once again, the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. And I can't remember if it was either sitting next to or near the kangaroo machine, if they were there at the same time, or if Arabian was also a conversion kit. I don't think Arabian was available as a conversion kit, but it's quite obvious they're on the same hardware. They're licensed from the same company. But yeah, it was Lance Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall, and I played it quite a bit there, but now I play it and I'm like, and I'm noticing more things about it, and I'm like, I, I just don't like this game anywhere near as much as I used to. Uh, not by a long shot. And that timer mm. thing really pissed me off a lot. That is crazy. And that's on both ROMs, right? I, that's, I tested know, it. It's on both ROMs. Okay, yeah, because I was playing the Sun ROM just now and I got the skulls. Yep. It's on both ROMs. And I could, I wanted, really wanted to rate this higher, but the fact that I had a headache when I played it last on the Atari ROM, that that just pissed me off to no end. And then the whole timer thing. And I, I can't rate it. I, I have to rate it a one. I used to love this wow. game a lot, but I, I can't rate it. So then, basically, our ratings are reciprocals from one game to the next in this episode. So that's interesting. You know what? I want there to be an episode where on one game, the way they have the spreadsheet set up is we have for the for the first game where we have a column for your score and then my score and then your score and my score for the second game. I'm waiting for us to do an episode where we have this the on the spreadsheet where it says two one one two, so that we could just have a whole you know rush themed episode, you know mm. for you know their album twenty one twelve. Oh, so, of course. Yeah, but we've got a thirty one thirteen, which is close. Which is close. We do. Yeah. We do. So I mean, well, I'll take that as sort of a a rush plus a thousand. Well, we'll, oh, we'll oh, see. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Rush's oh. album is 2112. You add 1001, you'll get 3113. In the Arabian manual, it says oh. you'll have 1001 hours of fun. Dun, I see dun, what you did dun. there. We got a conspiracy, folks. I, what's the consp what, 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 what conspiracy? Well, it's, it's an omen. 
it's it's oh, it's, it's, it's an yeah, omen it's an, for okay, something. It's more of an omen than a conspiracy. It's more of an omen. That, yeah, that's very so, true. So holy cow! Wow, that I, I'm frightened. My the the hair on my butt is standing on end. To be fair, one thing that probably contributes, well, that definitely contributes to your low rating is the sound. And to be fair, when I've been playing Arabian, I have not had the sound up simply because when I use my GPDXD, I'm usually on mass transit with it and I don't want to have the volume up bothering people. And also I'm also usually listening to a podcast at the time because uh-huh. so, I have like 20 podcast episodes I have to catch up with from the different podcasts I listen to, like uh, like Atari Bytes and Super Podcast Brothers and uh, uh, This Week in Potatoes. This Week in – well, I don't, I don't listen to that one. I just I, – I can't listen to that anymore. Oh, okay. Probably because it's tinny and shrill, just like the Atari ROM for Arabian. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> and I do listen to the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast, too. Yeah, I don't know about that guy. The host of that one, I don't know. He's got problems. But I do oh, love the announcer for the Easter egg segment, though. He's really awesome. Oh, really? Huh. <laughs> Try yeah, not just... to laugh while saying that. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> so, yeah. So, I, yeah, Arabian. Yeah, I... I really, really wanted to like this one more because I had fond memories of playing it when I was younger, but I just, I I probably, you know what? I may have rated it higher if I didn't have the headache yesterday. So, I mean, I'll grant you that, but that music really is shrill. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's really bad. It's the music on an Atari 2600 game is better than the music on the Atari version of the ROM of Arabian. Not, I mean, not the between screens, but during during the screen, the sun version, the music is more melodic. There's more voices. There's more going on in the music in the sun version, whereas the Atari ROM version sounds like plink 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 plink. And I, I don't, I just, yeah, the, the music is better. Uh, if you're gonna play this game, play the sun ROM. Don't play the Atari one. The sun ROM is the better of the two ROMs. I'm just gonna say that. Put that. Let me suggest this to you there, uh, Cosmic Allen. Um, I'd like you to try Arabian again for a little while with no sound. Turn the sound down. Okay. And see what you think then. Because I think even at Galloping Ghost, I don't think we could hear it very well. I think, though, but as I said, I think the Sun version of the ROM, the music is much, much better, and it didn't hurt my head at all when I had that massive headache yesterday. So, I don't know. I'll I'll definitely try it with the, the volume turned down. I'll, I'll definitely give that a shot, but uh, I think at that point, this point, we should probably reveal the theme, but we got a couple of them. Didn't we already reveal the theme? It's uh, games that James White has the orcade.com record. One for. of several possible themes. Oh. The other one is which joystick pushing up makes you jump. And the other one, which is the one which is in our spreadsheet, is games that are distributed in the United States by Atari, but were developed by Sun Electronics in oh. Japan. And Sun Electronics oh, oh, is oh, still oh, oh. in business. Really? Yes, they are. They they, they make uh, they make like pachinko machines and stuff like now, but they were also known as Sunsoft, which is one of the big producers of games for the uh, the NES. They produced uh, the uh, the NES versions of Xenophobe and Spy Hunter. And uh, Blaster Master, uh, Fester's Quest. Uh, I believe they ported Blaster Master over to the SNES. I know they did a version of it for the Genesis. The games were re-released on, 
either one of the PlayStation or one of the Xbox consoles. I can't remember. Uh, I and actually, I think Arabian, now that I think about it, was actually included in one of those packs of older Sun games. Sun's actually been making arcade games for a long time, and they have a long uh, history of arcade games as well. And uh, you might want to, I don't have that list in front of me because I didn't know if I was going to talk about it or not. But look up Sunsoft or Sun Electronics on uh, Wikipedia, and uh, they they have a long history of, of games uh, that they had published across multiple platforms. This all kind of sounds familiar to me. Did we maybe mention this in a previous episode? I don't think we've done a Sun Electronics game before. Huh. Actually, we have. We have. We just failed to mention that. Oh, in fact, I th- you were the yes. one who noticed this should. Yes, right, I totally uh, forgot Adenda about this. Addenda and Errata Redux. Yes, Addenda and Errata Redux. <laughs> episode 40, we were talking about games in which you can lose without losing all of your lives. And that was Space Invaders and Stratovox. Stratovox was, was developed by Sun Electronics. I don't think we mentioned that in the episode. No, at all. I don't think we did. I, I don't think we actually. It was distributed by Taito, which we did mention. Yes, they were both distributed by Taito. Uh, well, I'm no, no. I'm sorry. Space Invaders was distributed by Bally, created by Taito. Stratovox was created by Sun and distributed by Taito. Uh, speak and rescue for those playing along at home. So yes, yeah, Stratovox was also a Sun Electronics game, which we didn't know until we did the research for this episode. So there you have it. And I guess we should announce what we're going to do for the next episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is going to be interesting because one of these games I have never played before in my life, and I have yet to I have yet to play it. But there's a catch. Well, the games, first of all, are Mappy, which I have played before, and WWF Russellfest, which I have never played, even though I have seen it in arcades for all of my life. So why are we talking about a game that I have never played? Well, yeah, why? Well, I'll tell you, mister, it's because that there's a mystery theme going on here. And the mystery theme was crafted by our two co-hosts for that episode. Yes, Tim Evans and Andy Ryerson from Super Podcast Bros will be joining us for episode 48 in two weeks. 48, that's right. We didn't say the episode. This is episode 47. It's 47. They're going to be joining us for episode 48 in two weeks. Wow. And Andy Ryerson came up with the theme, and he's not telling us, not even his cohort, Yeah, Tim, Tim doesn't know either. Tim doesn't know either. Although I think in some of our talking uh, uh, privately uh, while trying to arrange this nicely in a vase, I think somebody may have hit on it. But I don't know. We won't know for certain until we do the episode. So that's going to be fun. The mystery episode episode. So there you have it. So I guess, Sean, shall we thank our sponsor, our Patreons? Excuse me, who? who who's oh, this I'm Sean sorry. You chap? are Ellen Syndrome. Thank you, Ellen. Uh, yes, I am Syndrome. Ellen Syndrome. All right, so yeah, let me thank our sponsors. Um, Patrons. This time, I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order. I think I've done that before, but hey, nobody's going to get hurt from this, I hope. As far if as you know. does, then, well, I should try something different. But anyway, thank you to Richard Valdez, The Underground Retrocade, Keith Sheehan, and thanks for the party. Uh, Jonas Rulo, Greg Polender. Nate Lockhart, Kyle Etter, Michael D'Angelo, and Rory Coleman. Yay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you all in a couple of weeks with our special guests, Tim and Andy. Shower cap. Bye-bye.
This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. My brother had a small size one. When he was a kid. Okay, I'm going to let the jokes write themselves. I'm not even going to mention them. My brother had a tabletop size one when he was a kid. It, there, you can't make a joke out of that. Yeah, yeah, I can, actually. Uh, I've, I've, let's hear what But let's hear the less it. said, on. the better, I guess. But uh, one, thing I, one game I, I was playing about my in Mame. And now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. Oh, there's a good one. Judges! No, I'm sorry, but thanks for playing. There's got to be something wrong with Google.